We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Guilty as Charged podcast. Uh, my name is Steven, and I am the host. Again, I apologize for the uh, audio quality and the lack of a setup still moving and, and going through whole that, that whole process, but uh, very excited for a special episode today. And join me for that is Mr. Brett Coleman, the host and creator of The Film Room. And you might also know his work from the Bootleg podcast, doing some great work over there as well. Recently did a deep dive into every team in the NFL, which I cannot recommend enough. Brett, thanks for taking the time to join me, man. How are you doing today? I am ready for the season to start. Uh, it it kind of sneaks up on me every single year, and this year's no different. But we're here. Games are being played. Camps are almost over. We got regular season starting up in, what, two weeks from now? So yeah, I'm good to go. Ready to have real games played for once. I know we got college football week zero this week. We got college football week one next week. So I don't know about you, but it, it, this really felt like a super long off season and compared to other off seasons outside of the COVID year, obviously, which was the worst, but this year just felt super long. See, it felt fast for me, but only, and the only reason it did was because we went two months recording 40 podcast episodes and, yeah. Trust me, when you record 40 podcast episodes in two months, uh, it flies by. So maybe I'm just going to keep doing that every offseason because it felt <laughs> like I I didn't have an offseason. We were just yeah. we were grinding even harder than we were during the normal season. Yeah, it keeps you busy for sure. Um, so like I said, what we're, we're here to talk about, obviously, the Chargers. We'll get some AFC West stuff. Um, I do want to give you kind of an opportunity to talk about that process that you know, you guys have had throughout doing this, this deep dive into every single team. Cause uh, you know, it, it's great work. Like I think obviously we do deep dives on like the own, like the chargers and stuff like that. Like we know the chargers, but you know, I don't know what's going on with the bears. I don't know what's going on with the, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So what was kind of your guys' process as you went through the, the deep dive experience for every team? You know, a big thing is we start out with kind of a look back at 2021, you know, what happened last year, you know, what were some of the pitfalls they ran into? Was it, you know, they just didn't have the depth to survive injuries or, you know, was there just a really awful coaching situation? Like say with Jacksonville, um, did a quarterback get hurt? Like with Baltimore, you know, they start out eight and three and then they completely tail off because everybody gets hurt. Or with the Chargers, was it like, okay, they were always a threat every single week, but you didn't know 
exactly which Chargers team was going to show up. You know, either they can dumpster Cincinnati or they can lose to the Texans. You really never knew what Chargers team you were going to get. So looking back at 2021 was kind of the first thing we did. And then we kind of go through the power structure, you know, specifically with the Chargers. You got the John Carroll Illuminati there with Brandon Staley and everybody that's connected to John Carroll. Then we look at who they lost in free agency uh, or really generally in the offseason, who they lost and then who they brought in. You know, who did they retain? Who did they sign? And then who did they draft? We go through some key UDFA acquisitions. And so we kind of give a whole top down look at what happened last year. Who's running the show? Who did they lose? Who did they gain? And where do they stand now? And specifically for the Chargers, what that netted out for us was, okay, they did, quote unquote, lose some talent because they had to, because they needed to free up a whole bunch of money and assets in order to, you know, go get JC Jackson to trade for Khalil Mack. And when we kind of weighed the losses to the gains, the gains came out significantly ahead. And so I think that doing that process for every single team you can see where, for instance, the Chargers stack up with the rest of the AFC yeah. West. And it kind of, it, it almost kind of, um, I'm trying to say this delicately because I know people get so frustrated when I curse their teams. It almost made me more sure than ever that the Chargers are legit because we were directly stacking up every single move with the rest of the division. And I really don't mean to jinx it because I do that every single year, it, specifically with the Chargers. I always say it's the Chargers year. But this year, maybe more than ever, I truly believe it because every single weakness they had, I mean, every single one got addressed. And I really can't find anything wrong with this team, like at all. Well, I know you're not alone there in saying that it's the Chargers year. We, um, we started doing this podcast in 2019. Chargers had just come off a 12-4 season, won a playoff game. And, you know, the three of us on here were like, this is the year, man. Like, this is this is going to be it. They're going to build off of the playoffs, and they're going to do all this great stuff. And Phil Rivers was an MVP candidate last year, and uh, then they went 5-11. and 11. So, you know, it, it happens. That's the nature of the beast sometimes. It makes football so fun. Yeah, but at the same time, and I I want to use all deference to Phil Rivers. He's incredible. Yeah. Tail end of Phillip Rivers compared to what the Chargers have now with Justin Herbert, as great as Phil was, it's not the same. Justin does stuff on the field that, again, Phil's going to the Hall of Fame. Rivers never made some of the throws that Herbert's capable of making. And so I think now more than ever, the ceiling for the Chargers is even higher than it ever was during the Rivers era. And that's saying a lot. Well, you, you mentioned it, and so I want to go right into that. Obviously, I've, anybody who knows you and your work knows, you know, we're not going to revisit past takes. I want to talk about future takes here. So what kind of step forward are you uh, expecting from Justin Herbert this year? What are some things that you hope he can uh, work on and improve upon? There we go. I think I lost you. I, I don't know. So that's going to be a fun one. <laughs> um, so <laughs> fix it in post. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, but I wanted to get your thoughts on, on some things that Justin Herbert, you feel like he can improve upon and, and places that he can get to this year, you know, it being in second year in this system and having, you know, basically the whole cast brought back around him. Where, where, where are you, where are you thinking you can see some growth for Justin Herbert this year? 
Um, it's actually kind of a, a similar, uh, a similar trajectory to Pat Mahomes since he's, you know, gotten in the league where he knows he's better than everyone. Uh, he knows he can do things that other people just simply can't. There's maybe four or five quarterbacks in the league max that can make the kind of throws he can make. And so sometimes I think he gets caught up with how ridiculous his arm is and how talented he is. And so he tries to play hero ball and he gets in trouble for it. And Mahomes did the exact same stuff, you know, retreating 13 yards behind the line of scrimmage where his tackles have absolutely no shot of protecting him. So he can throw off his back foot to Tyreek 45 yards down the field. Mahomes had to learn that even though he could, doesn't necessarily mean he always should. And he had to kind of, okay, I'm going to stay in my seven and nine yard depth in the pocket. I'm going to play within structure. I'm going to get the ball out quick. And when we have an opportunity for a big play, we'll take it, but we shouldn't always be looking for the home run. Herbert, you know, came out of the gate his rookie year throwing touchdowns to Jalen Guyton for 75 yards against freaking zero falling off his back foot. He's always been that guy. But learning to play within structure and not digging himself unnecessary, uh, unnecessarily bad holes, you know, when he's trying to play hero ball, that's the big thing that I think he still needs to work on, which, to be honest, if if your number one complaint about a quarterback is, hey, he's capable of doing ridiculous things. I just wish he didn't do them all the time. That's not a bad problem to have, but a lot of young, talented quarterbacks go through that. They have to learn that that structure matters. And I think going into year three now, I think it is for him. I think that he's old enough now that he's going to do the same thing Pat did, which is he's, he's going to start playing in structure. And once he's always in structure, there's really nothing you can do to stop him. Yeah, see, that, that was definitely something that I was looking forward to in, in him getting this kind of Saints offense and being able to work with Joe Lombardi. And you know, Joe Lombardi catches a lot of flack for not, you know, using the the whole, you know, deep part of the field with Justin Herbert's arm. But I think they really had to work with him because the offense when he was a rookie was touchdown to check down. And if there's nothing else in between, then you're just, you're, you're, you're lost. And so that was something that I was really excited to see heading into last year. And Herbert made a lot of strides and going through his progressions. And now you can see him going from one to three or one to four instead of just touchdown to check down. And so, um, you know, I, I think we will see the offense be that much more open this year as Herbert kind of continues to take that next step mentally. Yeah. And I mean, the fact that they have so many receivers now, it's not just, okay, we're throwing a 50, 50 ball to Mike, or, you know, we've got Keenan working an option route. Now it's okay. We got, Josh Palmer, we got Eckler, who's a great man beater. Mm -hmm. uh, Spiller has had a couple great reps as a pass catcher so far. You got a billion tight ends over there. So there's there's a lot of weapons to work with to the point where if you want to get to the backside dig and you're throwing that backside dig to Josh Palmer, there's a lot of teams that would love to have Josh Palmer being their isolated receiver on the backside of three by one. So, uh, yeah, there's... There's going to be a lot of not just big plays in this Chargers offense, but the intermediate chunks that we always kind of wish they were getting before. I think they're going to get a lot more of those this year. Yeah, I absolutely agree there. I want to I want to shift gears and talk about the offensive line. We covered a little bit of, of, of everything there. Um, where were you guys on Zion Johnson leading into the draft? And how do you think he'll kind of fit into this offense as a rookie? inarguably one of the three best interior linemen in this class. It depended on whether or not you saw him more as a center or a guard. For me, I thought he could do either, so it didn't really matter. Luckily, they already have Corey Lindsley at center, so they didn't need him at center. They could just plug yeah. him in at guard. 
And I think, you know, looking at a starting offensive line of, of Slater, Filer, Lindsley, Zion, do we know yet if Pipkins or Storm are the right tackle? It's uh, going to be Pipkins. They haven't announced it yet, but he took all the first team reps yesterday and all the first team reps today. So it, it's going to be Pipkins. Okay. Either way, right tackle is kind of the only thing I'm a little bit yeah. wary on. Yeah. Hopefully they address that next offseason. But again, if you got four out of five, it's still vastly superior to what the line looked like in Justin's rookie year where you yes. were just praying to God he would survive. <laughs> so they've done a lot of good work over the last couple off seasons. Zion was absolutely a, right down the middle of the fairway first round pick. He's going to be solid. He's going to be stable. I think that he could very easily be like their own version of Shaq Mason. You know, somebody who mm. you never hear his name and that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, Shaq Mason had a great career in New England and he's going to be a good starter in Tampa for sure. Um, I want to shift to the opposite side of the ball here quickly because uh, your co-host, of course, is a big Chicago Bears fan. Uh, so I'm curious to get your thoughts as you kind of talked and picked his brain about Khalil Mack, what Khalil Mack kind of has uh, left in the tank. There's been a lot of uh, resurgent talk. There's been, you know, yesterday uh, he told Peter King that he wants to be better than the classic version of himself. So as somebody who has all this information and a co-host who is a, is a Bears fan, what do you think Khalil Mack has left in the tank to bring to this team in Los Angeles? He can still absolutely be an elite edge rusher and somebody who can play not just with his hand in the dirt, but also standing up. If you want to go four down, he can basically be a quasi-defensive end for you. If you want to do a five-man surface, um, it's not even really a 3-4. It's more of a 5-2. If you want to do that kind of stuff, he could play outside linebacker for you. He's still Khalil Mack. You know, obviously he's a little bit older and durability has been a little bit of a concern, but when he's healthy, he's still Khalil freaking Mack. And Chargers fans should know what Khalil Mack can do since he spent so much time in this division. I think the biggest benefit for him being there is not just as a pass rusher, though. It's as a run defender because pretty much anything that the Chargers can do to not have Jerry Tillery on the field on early downs <laughs> is, is okay with me. The fact that you can line Khalil up over a tight end is like a six technique and say, hey, go murder that guy and, and stop stop pretty much any run play that's going the going to the C or D gap. Khalil's going to take that out, which means that, you know, Joseph Day, Austin Johnson, all of them, Covington, uh, Akito Albonia, who's a kid from UCLA that they drafted this year, who I'm a big fan of. If they know that nothing is bouncing because Khalil Mack is there, then they can play even more aggressive on the inside and just start shooting gaps and making plays. And then, oh, by the way, you got Joey Bose on the other edge too. So I think the biggest value he brings is not just as a pass rusher, but as a run defender, because run defense was one of the main problems for this entire team last year. And Mac helped fixes that. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to see all of that. And, you know, the, the again, it's preseason training camp hype has been really kind of off the chain for Cleo Mac this year, which is understandable. But um, the reps of him and Rashawn Slater have been really fun to watch. Um, he he bowled right through Rashawn on a couple of those, and nobody does that. So yeah, he still got he still got juice. Yeah, there's still that was that was one of those like all right, this is this is happening. <laughs> this is this is going off the train. Like let's let's go. Um, I want to talk about the secondary because I think we're going to see a little bit of a a shift here with Brandon Staley in the second year. You know, last year they did so you know so many quarters looks, so many cover two looks. 
Uh, I mean, we'll see about J.C. Jackson. He's hurt as of today with the ankle surgery. But up until today, you know, it sounded like Brandon Staley's plan was to play a lot more man coverage, have J.C., you know, shadow opposing number one receivers. What are your expectations for that back-end group of the Chargers defense this year? You know, even if they're not playing a whole lot of cover one or two man and they are still sticking with a lot of the match quarter stuff, match quarters is basically just man coverage with zone coverage principles anyway. So you still need guys that are really sticky. You know, you're not doing any spot drop zone in this defense. They just, they just don't really do that, and for good reason. And so I think having a whole bunch of corners that can play quasi-man coverage even in their zone looks is imperative. Um, I think that when they played a lot of cover two last season, it was because that was just what their corners were best suited for. You know, Asante, I think, can do a little bit of everything, but they didn't really have anybody else besides Asante that I felt could, okay, I'm going to line up in a press look, half a yard inside, uh, half, half a yard inside the receiver, you know, use the boundary to my advantage and just go dominate him. Like they, they really only had one corner who could do that last year. So I think now, again, if JC's healthy, they have at least two. And then Callahan at nickel, when he's healthy, is a really good nickel as well. So mm-hmm. you can play more cover one if you want to. You can play more two-man if you want to. But most importantly, you're going to get more mileage out of all the match quarter stuff that Staley likes to do too because you can put J.C. Jackson, you know, the most common thing you're going to see in this division, honestly, is going to be three by one. So you can put J.C. Jackson in a press look in match quarters on the backside. He's going to go dominate his dude or at least hold up against his dude. And then you got Asante playing on the boundary on the other side. So I think it's not just about, oh, we want to play more cover one. It's, oh, we want to get better at doing all the quarter stuff too. So hopefully JC's healthy because he allows them to do that and they won't have to do as much cover two and cover three if he's healthy. But I guess we'll see. Yeah, it's certainly going to be interesting. And obviously we hope JC is is, uh, recovering well from ankle surgery and and Chargers will need him in this division. So I don't want to spoil too much of, of your guys' episode, you know, doing the, the whole AFC West deep dive. And, you know, you had this great line that I thought was just perfect that you felt more comfortable picking the division winner as opposed to like the order of the whole four teams. Um, but I guess, is there any clear separation for you in the AFC West where you think is this team or this position group is going to put a certain team above the rest? You know, I, I picked the Chiefs to win the division, but that's solely because until somebody else wins it, you kind of have to. <laughs> you know, you got Pat Mahomes, you got Andy Reid. They had a phenomenal draft themselves. They reloaded with a whole bunch of talent. The Chargers absolutely could still win it. So could the Broncos. So could the Raiders. All of them have an argument. I mean, I, I we picked ceiling and floor for the division. Literally every team in the division, I said my ceiling's 13 wins. And, you know, 13 and four in the AFC is probably getting you the first seed. So the Chargers are totally capable of it. But I'm still defaulting to the Chiefs kind of until further notice, like, you know, until somebody kills the king. I I can't not. But would I be shocked if the Chargers come out and go 13 and four and win the division and get home field advantage and go to the Super Bowl? No, because that's how talented this team is. They really are capable of doing it. So I'm just I'm kind of erring on the side of caution with that Chiefs pick just based on recent history. But I mean, you can't tell me that if the Chargers made the playoffs last year and if they beat the Raiders in week 18 last year, you can't tell me they wouldn't have made a run because Herbert was playing out of his freaking mind 
And I guarantee you the Chiefs, if they played them in the first round, which they would have if they won that Raiders game, I'm not so sure the Chiefs would have won that game. The Chargers yeah. very easily could have knocked them out last year. So they're still dangerous. They're still absolutely a threat to everybody in the conference. I'm just kind of in a, okay, well, we'll, we'll see it when we see it type mode with the Chargers. Yeah, I think that's fair for the rest of the division, right? You know, like uh, Lindsey Jones always talks about this on formerly the Athletic and now the Ringer that, you know, the Broncos haven't beaten the Chiefs in like five years. Like they're they're 0 and 8 or something like that. So, you know, the Chiefs, really that bad? it really has been that bad. I think since Peyton was around was the last time they beat the Chiefs. Jesus. Okay. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's you know, <laughs> this there's a lot of prove it going on going around in the division, but we know who the Chiefs are. And I think, you know, a lot of people are kind of taking victory laps without Tyreek Hill, but I still think the Chiefs are going to be very, very good in the AFC. So um, Brett, appreciate your time, man. What's uh, coming down the road for you guys down there at uh, the bootleg podcast and where can people find your work? So we're this week i think this is going out this week uh we're kind of doing like a a status check for all the young quarterbacks around the league and then we're looking at some preseason uh rookie winners the week after that and then we're we're doing a a predictions episode you know kind of looking at the the nfl as a whole not just predicting divisions but predicting the league super bowl matchups conference championship matchups all that good stuff um and justin herbert spoiler alert gets a lot of mentions in that episode. So maybe Chargers fans will find that one fun. And then uh, over on uh, my other channel, I have a, a Kenny Pickett episode coming out because he's looked, I don't want to say surprisingly good, but definitely further along than maybe we expected. Uh, and then, you know, cover your ears, Chargers fans. I'm doing a Devontae Adams episode right after that. So uh, a lot of stuff coming up in the next few weeks. Well, it's going to be an important one. You obviously got to know your enemy and, uh, you know, it's going to be a lot of good intel there. So, uh, Brett, can't thank you enough for your time today. Keep up the great work. We love listening to your podcast on this show. Uh, our My other co-host, Tyler, listens to every single episode you guys do. So uh, make sure to keep up the good work. Got to give him a shout out. And uh, again, really appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for having me.